We're going to be taking a look at um, a scripture out of the Gospel of Mark this morning. So if I have a Bible, or if you have a Bible app, or if you want to grab one of those Bibles in front of you, or if you want to follow along here on uh, the screen, we're going to be reading from uh, Mark 10, verses 35 through 45. Mark 10, verses 35 through 45. And let me show you guys something something neat before I get started. Y'all happen to remember several weeks ago, I, I, said, uh, I said I wish I had a pointer up here that I could use when we go over this scripture. Well, there, there it is. They are not here today. Uh, they are up, they're up visiting some family up in Pennsylvania, but Margaret and Tom Fraley actually left this on my desk last week, so I thought that was, thought that was very kind of them. Very, very, very nice. So if you're out there watching, Tom and Margaret, thank you guys so very, very much. That's so cool. So start in verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, to be Christ. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and another at your left in your glory. You do not know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup that I drink. You will be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. And when the other ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together, and he said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over him, over them. This next part is the, is the meat of the scripture today. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. It's the word of God for the people of God. Again, like I said, that last portion of Scripture is, is really the meat of this message today. The basic idea that I want you guys to glean from this Scripture and this sermon is the idea of developing or crafting the heart of a servant, crafting or developing a, the heart of a servant, just as Jesus states that he came not to be served, but to serve. So are we called to live lives that are not guided first by lofty ambitions, but to service to God, to service to God and to others. All this begins with a major heart shift, and this all goes in line with so much that we've talked about recently. To be able to have this servant's heart requires a major shift in consciousness for us. It requires a major shift away from our big, inflated egos. It requires a major shift into the mind and the heart of Jesus Christ. I mentioned my mom earlier when we were talking about All Saints Day. My mom passed away um, February 13th 
2017, just a few hours before uh, a few hours before Valentine's Day. She almost made it to Valentine's Day. And I had the privilege, and Sandy will tell you, I, I wouldn't leave her bedside for about two weeks. I think I left. I think I left the hospital room once to go home take a shower. But I had to because I wanted to be in that moment. I wanted to be in that moment when she passed away, and and I was, and that was a privilege for me. I was there literally six inches or a foot away from my mom when she drew her last breath, and I watched her leave this world. That's a privilege to me. <coughs> um, and even though I wasn't a pastor at the time. I also had the privilege of preaching a portion of her funeral service. And I used this scripture that we're reading today. I used this scripture, this text out of the book of Mark. Because this scripture, particularly what Jesus tells them after all, after they start raising all this ruckus, after what Jesus tells them actually absolutely embodies everything that my mother was. It embodied everything about her life. It embodied everything that she believed, and it embodied everything that she practiced. Whoever wants to be first must be a slave to all. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. That was my mother. That's the person she was. That's the person that I knew from the time that I was born until the time that she passed away. She absolutely lived to serve other people. Now, by worldly standards, my mom wasn't a whole lot. She was nothing impressive. She didn't stand out among worldly standards and what we consider to be people of great worth, people of great notoriety, people of great leadership, those types of things those types of things that we tend to value in the world. Certainly, let's all admit it, we don't, we don't value people who come across as humble servants very much, do we? We don't. That's just the world around us. Christ says differently. And that's who my mother was. She had a high school diploma. She wasn't highly educated. She wasn't part of the in crowd. She wasn't part of high society. She never had any great ambitions toward any kind of any lofty ambitions toward power or authority, but she loved her family. She loved her family, and she loved her friends. She was the most compassionate human being that I have ever known in my entire life. She was always more concerned about the needs of her family and her friends over her own needs, and that included her sickness. Sandy will tell you, my mom was very, very, very sick the last few years of her life. She had had a couple strokes. She was... She was uh, uh, confined to a wheelchair, wheelchair for a couple of years. She'd had congestive heart failure. She'd had kidney failure, diabetes, you name it, she had it. And through that all, through every year, every day of that, through having to turn her over on her bed, through having to, through having to take care of bed sores, changing adult diapers, my mother never complained once. My mother never complained the first time about her condition. My mother was always more concerned about my needs, about her husband's needs, about my wife's needs, about Parker's needs, than she was even to the point of her sickness. She passed away again in February. The Christmas prior to that, I can remember her, and I've still got it in my office. One of her biggest concerns was making sure that she got me this specific Bible for Christmas. And it's, it's still in there. It's the last thing she ever gave to me. 
my mom had a servant's heart. And I'm sure that every single person in, in this sanctuary this morning can think about somebody in their lives who's exactly like that. Maybe that person's still alive today, maybe they're not. But I'm sure everybody in here knows somebody who just sticks out. They live this idea of having a servant's heart. They're always more concerned about the other person than they are themselves. So yeah, by worldly standards, you know, my mom wasn't that great. But by the standards of Jesus, by the standards of the kingdom of God, and by the standards of this scripture, she was great. And she was first. This is the kind of life, the kind of hearts that Jesus calls his disciples towards in these few verses. It's the kind of life also that is not reserved for clergy. It's not reserved for clergy. It's not reserved for pastors. It's not reserved for evangelists or just a select few. This is the kind of life every single person in this sanctuary is called to today if you refer to yourself as a follower of Christ, as a disciple of Christ, as a Christian. Here's the thing. Here's the <laughs> At this point, the disciples had spent about three years of Jesus, three years learning under Jesus, and they still didn't get it. There's a lot that they still didn't get. They certainly didn't, didn't get this teaching. Just like a lot of us don't get it today. I want to break down the scriptures just a little bit so we can kind of get maybe a bigger idea, a bigger picture of what's going on in this scene from our scriptures. Jesus, in, in, in these scriptures starting at 35, Jesus and the disciples are on their way to Jerusalem. Uh, this, is, uh, this takes place just prior to them entering the city of Jerusalem and just a few days prior to when Christ would be executed. Back in verses 32 through 34. And they don't, we don't have those on the, on the screen, but if you want to go back and look at them. Just prior to our scriptures today, verses 32 through 34, you will find that Jesus has told the disciples for the third time in the book of Mark that he was about to die. They didn't get it. They still didn't get it. He had told them three times already. And the next thing that happens is what we find in our scriptures today, starting there in 35. These two guys start arguing. and They want to be first. They want to be next to Christ in, this, in, these, in these glorified positions. Because, once again, they didn't understand that he was dying to save humanity. They thought that he was going to ride into Jerusalem and start kicking butt and taking names, as we like to say in South Georgia. That's the kind of Messiah that they wanted. That's the kind of Messiah that they believed in. They thought that Christ was going to enter Jerusalem, that he was going to overthrow the Roman government, and he was going to free the Jewish people from their oppression because that's what they wanted. That's what they expected. They didn't expect the Savior who was going to sacrifice himself on the, on the cross. So this is what these two disciples do. Hey, Jesus, we got something to ask you. we got a favor to ask you. He replies... Can we sit on your right and your left in glory? These would have been positions of authority um, had he been that type of king, had he been that type of king that they were hoping for. These would have been positions of, of great notoriety, great 
authority and great power. So that's what they were seeking when they asked Jesus this question. Hey, when you take over the kingdom, can we sit on your left and your right? So Jesus, knowing what's going on, knowing what's about to happen, he counters that. He counters the question. He tells them, you know, you guys don't know what you're asking for. You guys have no idea, apparently still, even though I've told you three times, <laughs> what's coming to you. And he you know, says this part, can you, ask, can you drink from the cup or I'll be baptized? Can you, be, can you drink from the cup that I drink or can you be baptized with the baptism I'm about to be baptized with? Of course, we know at this point that Christ is referring to his, to his death. Can you drink of that cup? Can you be baptized with that? Then he goes on. He says, he says uh, they, say, they say yes, by the way. Because <laughs> they don't, still don't know what he's talking about. But they say, yeah, we can, we can do that, God. Christ, we can follow you every step of the way. So then he goes on. Christ tells them, yeah, you know, you will be baptized with the same baptism. And you will drink from the same cup that I drink from. And there's a couple ways that we can interpret this. A couple ways this has been interpreted over the seasons, over the years, over the centuries. Um, he could possibly be telling James and John that uh, you're going to be participants in my death. You're going to be there. You're going to be present. So that's, that's a possibility. More than likely, he was given prophecy. Tell them they're both going to die. That's not exactly what happened. They didn't. Well, of course they died. James was martyred find that in the book of Acts. James, James died for the faith. He was killed for the faith. And John, as some of us probably know, was eventually exiled and spent the rest of his life in exile before he died. So more than likely Christ was prophesying to him, here's what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to drink the same cup. You're going to be baptized with the same baptism. Then what happens is we see the remainders of the disciples they hear the conversation that's going on, and of course, they get all up in arms. They're mad. They get indignant, as the scriptures say. They're mad at James and John. How dare they? How dare they ask for these, for these positions? We don't know what their motives were. For the, you know, I'm real careful about, about you know, defining what people's motives are if they definitely aren't spelled out the words. But you've got to figure they probably, they, they, they probably wanted some of that power, too is what I would guess. They probably wanted a taste of that power too. So they get mad with, the, with John and James and they get ticked off and the scripture says, you know, they get indignant. So this is where Christ pulls them together. You get out all this chaos going on, all these people arguing about worldly power basically. And Christ pulls them all together and he gives us, gives them and he gives us our scripture focus once again. Can I get the next one guys? Whoever wants to be greatest among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom to many. Along with the death of Christ, this teaching of Jesus, this idea of being a servant, was still something that the disciples didn't get. It's when they had already been told, as a matter of fact. If you were to turn backwards to Mark chapter 9, you'll find that the disciples were arguing about, guess what? Who's the greatest among us? Who's the best among us? And Jesus essentially tells them the exact same thing. Anybody who wants to be first must be least, must be the servant of all. Disciples were pretty slow learners, folks. 
Uh, but let's be honest, some of us are, most of us are slow learners too. We still have a hard time grasping this concept. We still have a hard time putting this into word, putting this into action 2,000 years later. Still, today, today, we, we, us, even us Christians, we seek notoriety, notoriety, we seek notoriety, we seek material expect, ex, ex, uh, material success. I usually put my sermons in 14-point font. Today, for some reason, they're in 10-point font, so it's a little bit difficult for me. Bear, <laughs> bear with me. <laughs> so even us, even Christians, a lot of times, you know, we seek notoriety. We, we seek material success at the expense of others a lot of times. We seek that success... That expense of an at the expense of an authentic walk with Christ. A lot of times we seek power, we seek authority. We are told, and this is just part of our society, this is part of our culture, this is who we are. We're told at a very young age that harsh and rugged competitiveness is the only way to get ahead in life. No matter how many toes we have to step on, we are told from a very young age to look out always for number one. This message is all about how we fall into those traps. This message is about how we fall into those traps and how we learn how we are, I don't want to use the word commanded necessarily, encouraged to live these lives of great service. You know, in our society, again, we, we have a tendency to extol and honor and really idolize the extremely wealthy. Nothing wrong with the wealth, but when we when we make idols of it, it comes it becomes something bigger. We promote those things to a to a great degree, and we admire them to a great degree. We idolize them. We idolize the famous, while we simultaneously ignore, overlook, or even turn our noses up to the most humble servants among us. We're called to something different. We're not called to have big egos. We're not called to seek material wealth, again, at the expense of others and or at the expense of our authentic walk with Jesus Christ. Putting the needs of others above our own needs living these sacrificial lives in honor of God as opposed to in honor of ourselves and in honor of our egos. Go back to Romans 12, verse 1. Make your lives a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable, and pleasing to God. Y'all, we have talked about spiritual traits. We've talked about teachings of Christ. We've talked about some of these teachings of Paul from Romans 12. For many, many weeks, I've probably to some degree every week since I've been here for the last four months, we've talked so much about discipleship. We've talked about loving our neighbors. We've talked about loving our enemies. We've talked about uh, just radical forgiveness. We've talked about not seeking re re uh, retaliation and revenge against our enemies, even those who hurt us the most. We talk about having, we've talked about having hearts that have been, that are being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And this certainly goes hand in hand with, the, with that. It's not natural for us to have 
servant hearts. It's not natural for us to put other people first. It's not natural for us really in a lot of instances to put God first. We've got a lot of things in our lives that replace God, whether we want to admit it or not, oftentimes. These things require something larger than us. These things require something bigger than our abilities. And I've told y'all what that is. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the power of God. Like we talked about last Wednesday in our study, I don't have the power to change myself for nothing. Pardon my English, my poor English. In and of myself, I don't have the power to change myself for nothing. Anybody ever tried self-help? How long does that last? Self-help methods? How about this? Anybody ever tried a diet? How long does that last? Anybody ever tried to get rid of an addiction or a habit in and of themselves? I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but it's difficult, and it rarely does last. The only thing that gives us this power is the power of God. Now, he does have that, and I believe that all day long. In order for us to become these things, we have to rely on the power of God, and to some degree that requires a lot of submission. I don't know how to tell you to do that. I can't tell you how to do that. I can teach you, and I can tell you, and I can preach to you the kind of things that God, and the kind of characteristics that Christ wants us to become, but I can't tell you how to become submissive, and I can't tell you how to become obedient. I can't tell you how to submit to the authority and to the power of God, but when you're able to figure it out, that's when the change comes. And that's when our hearts start changing. That's when our minds start changing. We start thinking a little bit differently. We start operating a little bit differently. I do want to give you two ways. You know, this message is all about recognizing where we fall again into these traps of putting ourselves first in so many so many areas as opposed to having hearts of servants service it's all about again like I said in the beginning learn to cultivate craft these hearts of servants so given what I just said about the authority of God the power of God the power of the Holy Spirit I want to give you a couple suggestions on how to how to do this you know we have this book for a lot of reasons. Our faith is contained within the pages of this book. How we read this book is very important. Something that we've always believed from, from the get-go is we believe that the Holy Spirit resides within the words of this book. We believe that this is literally the written word of God for his people. I want to teach you guys today, and I didn't realize it was going to take this long. I know I say that every week. I'm sorry. Um, I want to teach you a method today. What should take me about an hour, I hope it's going to take me about 10 to 15 minutes. But I want to teach you a method that I have learned, and it's an ancient method. It's been around for hundreds and hundreds of years of how to approach the Bible, maybe a little bit differently than we generally approach the Bible. Last Wednesday, what we talked about to a degree, one of the things we talked about is, is most of the time, most of the time, when we approach the Bible, when we read the Bible, 
we are trying, we read it from an academic point of view. We're trying to glean information from the birds. We're trying to glean facts and figures and put doctrines together and put theologies together. That's how all that stuff happens. And there's definitely a place for that. Don't get me wrong. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. There's definitely a place for biblical interpretation, if you will. That's what it's called. Definitely a place for that. Unfortunately, most of the time, when we go to the pages of the Bible, that's what we're trying to do. We're just trying to glean information. That's not the primary purpose of the Bible. The primary purpose of the Bible is not for us to glean information, but for us to obtain transformation. Heart transformation that manifests itself eventually out in the way that we speak, in the way that we act, in the way that we operate in our worlds. We should be being changed. If the Bible's not changing you when you're reading Scripture, I would advise you to start reading Scripture a little bit differently. And that's what we're going to talk about today. I want to teach you a method that's more of a meditative method of reading Scripture. It's more of a prayerful method. It's more of a way for us to actually involve God and, and involve the Holy Spirit with us as we seek the Scriptures, as we read the Scriptures, and in hopes of receiving some kind of transformation. You guys can look inside of your bulletins, and I'm probably, probably sure most of y'all have already. You'll see that sheet in there. It's got some really weird words y'all probably have never seen before. So those are Latin words. Lectio Divina. Lectio Divina. And the English translation for that is, is uh, divine reading or holy reading. And again, this is more of a meditative way of reading the Bible that involves us relying a little bit more on God, praying with God as we read through Scripture, and hopefully working with God to infect us with that transformation that we're seeking so much. And it's a four-step method. It's, oh, by the way, it's nothing weird. It's nothing weird. It's nothing new agey or anything like that. This, this has been around since about the third, I believe it was started around the third century in the Christian church. Uh, if you happen to be a former Catholic, you have probably heard of this method. Have you, Kevin? Yeah, so it's nothing weird. It's, just, it's, it's a, again, a meditative way of reading the Bible involving God while you read the Bible. Four-step process. And I'm going to do this around with you guys. Can you throw that scripture up there for me, Carl? And I want this to go along with the sermon from, from the... I want to point out a scripture here that, 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 that could inform us as to a degree of, of, you know, allowing God to form in us, within us, that servant's heart that we talked about this morning. The John 3.16. Sorry, Wes. And we're going to read this together, and we're going to go through these instructions, basically, that you got on your, on your paper there. First thing that you want to do is you want to spend a little time with God before you actually dive into the Scriptures. Which, by the way, I would advise you not to read large swaths of Scripture. I think that's one thing that we, uh, we really mess up with. We want to read pages and pages and pages of Scripture when we go to the Bible. 
if you're hoping to actually seek this kind of transformation that the Holy Spirit can do through the, through the Scriptures, keep them small. Keep your portions of Scripture small. Keep them to about, at, 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 at maximum, about 10 verses. Before you even go to that Scripture, before you, and this applies to your prayer life too, before you even go into prayer, take time to sit in the presence of God. Take time to welcome God into your presence with you. Welcome Holy Spirit. Maybe you just want to ask him to guide you during this period. And you're going to read this scripture, and you're going to read this scripture slowly. That's, again, a mistake that we make. We, want to, we just want to brush through it, brush through it, get all that information in. How much information can I get into my brain, into my head in one sitting? Don't do that. Take it in. Take in every word every comma, every period. And you read it slowly. For God so loved the world, He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Just think about it for a second. I'm going to read it another again in just a minute out loud. Y'all feel, feel free to read it you know, within your own heads if you want to. But as we read it through the second time, what I want you to do is I want you to maybe pick out a word or maybe pick out a phrase, three, four, five, six words. It really, Maybe it's the whole doggone scripture. <clears throat> but see if something in there doesn't grab your attention. See if something in there this time around doesn't stick out to you for whatever reason. Don't question it, just go with it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Again, I'm going to read it for a third time. And this is going to take us to the second step that you see there. This is the, med the meditative part of this. Again, ask yourself what stands out to you. Is there any particular portion of this that stands out, that grabs your attention, that grabs your heart? Ask yourself maybe how can God be speaking to me here? What might God want me to do in response to what I'm reading? God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world 
but to save the world through him. This is when you start communing with God a little bit. Maybe you want to close your eyes right now. Think about those words that stood out to you. Believe. Believe the fact that the Holy Spirit is, is, is with you. The Holy Spirit is right here with you during this process because he is. That's what this scripture is for. Not to give us a lot of information, but for God to work inside of our hearts. Maybe you just want to pray with God a little bit. Ask God some questions. What are you trying to reveal to me right now? Maybe you're being feel, feel led to thank God for something. Maybe you're looking for direction. What can I do with this? Action. What can I do with this? How can I take this out into the world? After you pray, the last, the final step of this is basically just sitting in the presence of God. I've talked to you a little bit about prayer before, and I, I plan on doing this probably a series on prayer at some point. But I've told you, I've told you guys, probably I think within the last week or two, that prayer is not a one-way street. Prayer is not just me sitting down talking at God, asking God a lot of stuff. We've got to learn to listen to God. God's got stuff to say to us. Well, if you're participating in this right now, that's exactly what you're doing. God will speak to you, folks. We talked about that in Sunday school this morning. But you got to let him. I'm going to let you guys go in just a minute, but for those of you who are actually participating in this exercise, I want you to sit there in silence for about 60 seconds. Allow God to speak to you. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you through these words, through this holy scripture. Kevin and our musicians come up. Let me ask you guys real quick. Who was excessively uncomfortable in these last five or ten minutes? 
This is something else that we have to overcome, folks. We don't like silence. That's weird. That We've got this weird thing in our culture where we constantly feel like we have to be entertained. We constantly feel like we have got have to have something going on to stimulate us, and that is a huge downfall of our relationship with God. We have to enjoy and seek out these moments of silence because that's where God speaks. That's where God speaks. When, who's my, where's my Bible people at? Kevin, where, was the, where, where is it at in Scripture where it talks about God speaking through the wind? Here we go, back to Ezekiel. We always, expect, we always expect God to talk to us through these loud, huge moments, and he speaks to us in the silence. Right. I hope y'all can take that and do something with it. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your presence with us. We thank you so much for the gospel of Christ. We ask you, Lord, to help uh, maybe draw us a little closer to you, God. Maybe draw us a little closer to our desire to have a little more richer prayer lives, a little more communion with you, God. We seek to be transformed into the image of Christ. We know that we can't do this on our own, and we ask, God, again, that you would just give us our hearts, give us hearts uh, that are drawn closer to you. Help us to be responsive and submissive to your movement. In the name of Christ our Lord, amen.